Welcome back, radio entrepreneurs, listeners, and fans. I'm producer Jillian King, and I'm excited to introduce you all to the summer 2023 FBA Family Business Panel Discussion. The family business. Is this a family affair? Should everyone in the family be in the business? In this panel, we will be covering topics including the complex issue of terminating family members, the inclusion and exclusion of family on your organization's board, who should receive an equal share of the business, and much more. This episode is part one of three, and all of these discussions are intended to be highly relevant to the family business, but also to entrepreneurs of all types. So be sure to follow Radio Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, or any of the other many platforms that we stream on to catch each of the other segments as they go live. Before we get into the discussion, allow me to introduce our panelists. Today, we have two returning panelists that you should know well, Stephen Wilchins, founding partner at Wilchins, Cosentino, and Novins, and Rich Hershen, partner at Gray, Gray, and Gray. Welcome. Glad you can be with us today. Good to be here. Next, I'm excited to introduce both of our guest panelists, Karen Bressler, former CEO of Agar, and David Gordon, president of the Gordon Companies. Finally, I would like to introduce the panel's moderator, radio entrepreneur's host and CEO of Mage LLC, Jeffrey Davis. Welcome, Jeffrey. I will now hand the conversation over to you. Thank you, Jillian, and welcome to the panelists. I think this should be a lively discussion. We've all had a lot of experience with family businesses. Uh, Most of our careers have been with family businesses, all of us. And let me start off not necessarily with uh, a specific order of questions, uh, just because I like to be controversial. Should the family business have a no hire policy for spouses? This is something we see in a lot of businesses and we've all experienced. I don't know who wants to address that first, uh, but we should feel free. Anybody want to get into that? I'll start. (laughs) We we addressed that a long time ago. We did not have a policy, but at one point my father, who uh, before I was the CEO, who was running the company, he contemplated bringing a brother-in-law in. Um, because that brother-in-law was looking for his next job. And I gave it a big thumbs down, uh, not because I didn't care for my brother-in-law, but I thought it would cause problems between the sisters in the family who were not working in the business. And what if it didn't work out and what kind of conflict? And I just thought I could preserve, we would be better at preserving the family piece by not bringing him in. So we did not do it. And there was also um, the case of my aunt and her husband was brought in and that did not turn out to be a good situation. So I was basing it on that experience. I I would agree with Karen. Um, This actually happened very recently to me with a a future spouse of a, of a sibling of mine uh, who needed a job. And uh, I had to say no. Uh, for that exact reason, it would just cause too many conflicts within within the business. Um, I do think, though, for extraordinary talent, that there should always be some level of exception. If so, if some if a spouse is particularly good at one thing that can actually help help generate the business and keep it going, I think that's that that's something that should be looked at a little closely. Yeah, I, I think David, you're right on with that because 
if the normal situation is just to hire someone because they're in transition or they need a job, et cetera, it's probably not a good idea. But if you have top talent and there are family members that you could have top talent, at that point, I think it's worth taking a hard look to see if you should be hiring, the, the company should be hiring that person to support the business venture. Yeah, I agree with everyone else too. I, I think if you've got to hire a spouse or a family member just because they need a job, but maybe is not a good fit, I don't think is a, a good recipe. But if they do have a skill set um, that you need and they're very qualified, I, I think it, you know it's okay. I think you just have set up some guardrails and see who's reporting to who and who's going to have the ultimate decision and, and things like that. Well, I think David sort of went into the next question and he said uh, when he brought up about extraordinary situ uh, situations. So it makes it just a little bit easier to slip back into that one, David. And that is under what conditions would it be fine to hire someone in the extended family for a business? And how would you create and structure those conditions? I, I, I think you'd hire, you'd only hire that person. You go back to my original point. You'd only hire that person if they had extraordinary talent and it's, it's a kind of person that if you had to hire a recruiting firm or somebody to get, uh, you know, someone with managerial experience or it could be advertising experience or operational experience um, that someone you sign a contract with and, and make sure that that um, person lives up to their reputation because there should, as that family member should have that type of reputation going into your, the family business. They should have the experience. They should have the drive and the willingness to actually, you know, operate and, and, and help run the business. So, you know, sign a contract. Anybody and else? I think like if you if you understand what's happening going into it, then if there has to be an exit, it even though it probably would not be without conflict, it becomes more clear. But it is it, you know, it it can be tricky. I mean, there's also uh the spouse of that extended family member might feel resentment that they weren't chosen to come in and their spouse was, and it, it just or in the case of a divorce situation or um, or the family member is, um, I think very important is to consider the culture of the company and somebody might be quite talented and have a great knowledge base, but they might not have the personality that fits in. And that's harder to measure. I'll, I'll sort of add one other little wrinkle to it that maybe Steve has been involved with. And I sort of look at it that if you bring in a family member, that you structure it almost like a prenup. They set up for a specific time period with performance criteria and a period where everything ends and there's that option to end it normally. So you go in knowing there could be an end or to renew and start over again uh, with a new contract. Right. And Jeffrey, I, I think liken it to a prenup. Right. I think that's a good idea. I mean, I think you would go in with the expectation that it's an interim basis with with the fact that you know things worked out and if it didn't then we'll just have a term and you know finish up the engagement but certainly if there is the need or a skill and you have as karen mentioned it, you know you have to have the correct managerial people above this person coming in to support that person and make sure that that person really understands what the goals are objectives and performs well. Steve, I'd, I'd add that you probably want that person to interview 
with more people than normal for the, for the position that are not family members. You know, they to really make sure that they're they're fit. I had a cousin. I have a tequila business. I have a cousin who was moving and wanted a job at the business, and you know, I I would would have loved him to get it. He ended up not getting it because I had him interview with you know four or five people at the company, uh, and he just wasn't a good fit. And so that was a, a a horrible conversation to have with him, but it wouldn't have worked out. So you know, I you know, I think he dodged a bullet too. Mm-hmm. It's easier to have that conversation. It's not a pleasant one, but it's easier right. to do it when you did it rather than six months down the road when he's working there or she's working there and it didn't work out, right? Right, so. exactly. Right, but I do think, Steve, that drawing some comparisons to the prenup, that if you're going to get into stuff for any family member, if you're going to bring any family, I think it's maybe good to sort of look at it on a part with sort of for performance it makes it a little better to do the situation if need be. Just go with and no sure. Um, okay. uh, next, yes. Jeffrey, you're cutting out a little on the internet. Okay. But I mean, one thing is do I hire this person to work in a certain position, which may be different than. Do I, hire, do I retain this person to serve on the board? And so those skills would be different. And certainly, um, you know, if that spouse is someone who's done extremely well, successful in their own right, that certainly would have some value to the company. I think that's right. It's still kind of the same concept of evaluating these family members to see where they would fit best um, if they fit at all, right? So if someone's a good fit for the board rather than being an employee, then that's that's fine. But I think it's seeing where people fit and if it's the right talent in the right place, then, then do it. Uh, sorry about that. I guess you lost me for a second. We'll uh, never lose you, Tim. <laughs> Steve, you're always very kind to me. It's not. It's probably not appropriate, or not how anybody else feels about me. Uh, <laughs> and, and I got to ask: Do prenups have performance criteria? Um, they should. <laughs> you know. Okay, just wondering. <laughs> Karen, I've had two situations. Not so. It's not a lot where we've had to create these, and there were sort of there were sort of guardrails and performance guidelines that sort of said. You know, you've got to measure up or be even better than everybody else if you're going to be here. And here are the conditions. And if you accept that, then we'll go and then we'll review it at the end to see if it's really appropriate. I didn't have a contract when I came into Agar and I didn't come into Agar planning to go. I didn't grow up planning to go into the family business. But when I went in, uh, yeah, my father put me through a full psychological um clinical psychological testing, which they did for all the employees. They, um, I don't think everybody interviewed me. I'm sure there were people that were not happy that I was coming in, but I definitely had a year long training, which was incredibly boring. Um, and, uh, but, but there was no performance, but we had always made an agreement in the beginning that we would mutually decide what would happen. Like, I wasn't so sure I wanted to stay. 
And he wasn't so sure I was going to work out. So we went into it, not with a written contract, but with the understanding that um, there was a very good possibility it was not going to work out. Well, and as you know, I, I threatened to quit a couple of times. <laughs> Wait, I, I think you threatened to quit more than a couple of times. I don't want to get in <laughs> trouble here. <laughs> well, until we built the new facility and then I promised I would never... And they were for specific business reasons. It wasn't an emotional situation. It was um, for very specific business reasons. And um, each time was a different scenario. And I didn't feel that I was uh, being treated as a professional and being given the tools and the knowledge that I, that I required to, to do what they were asking me to do. And so it was making my job impossible. But when I, once we built the new facility, then I promised I would I would stay no matter what, because I didn't want to leave my dad hanging. Well, uh, you know, this sort of takes me into the next question, which I'm going to adapt a little bit. And it is, should all children receive equal share of the family business? You both had different experiences with that. Uh, so I think really equal shares, how shares work uh, was different for both of you. I'm sure you had opinions at the time. And you still have a strong opinion, so I'm looking forward. Yes, David's laughing. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, it, you know, no matter what you do, it can create problems. All solutions create issues. So I think this is a great topic for other people to hear. This is a loaded one, Jeffrey. Well. <laughs> uh, to, I guess to answer your question head on, I, I don't think that um, that wasn't. It wasn't my case. I had um, a father who was exiting the business from an equity standpoint, and and my brother and I are both in the business in different capacities, um, and he elected to just split it 50-50. Um, and I think looking back, and this is very recent, so I think looking back on that experience, I think more thought should have been given to how the equity was was split and maybe that could have been a vesting schedule or, or um, some sort of performance-based metric that would have granted more equity, but it was a pretty, you know, this is, and it's a four generation business. So, and it, it was always the oldest male who took it over. Um, and now he had two boys in the business and thought that that was the most appropriate thing to do. And so, you know, this was as recent as uh, this past October. So I'm very fresh in this. And Karen, you have um, sisters, no brothers. Correct. I have sisters, no brothers. Um, they did not work in the business. Uh, in our family, we do try to do, I think, what David's father tried. is like they try to be the fair, fair as parents. And I think that um, it's good to define. One is inheritance and one is um, earned. And what I had finally come to with my father um, before we sold the business was that I had shares that were given to, gifted to me as part of my um, compensation package uh, over time. And then from an inheritance standpoint, everything was really a third, a third, a third. 
And then we had um, a buy-sell agreement within all of that, because that I think is, is something very dangerous for a lot of families that if in a scenario, you know, one person wants to cash out, you have to make sure that they, I mean, the other person then might have to sell the business to cash them out if there's no agreement in there. So, you know, it could, it could bankrupt the company um, once you put a valuation on it. So we had a buy-sell agreement uh, with my, my sisters and I should, uh, I had, should they have wanted to cash out at some point in time, because we honestly didn't have the cash to give them um, once, you know, later down the road. So it, it would have been problematic from a cash flow standpoint. What turned out happening um, as life has it is the day we sold our business, my father died literally on the day we signed the papers. So um, it, it, none of that ever needed to come into play in terms of uh, buy-sell agreement. The company was already sold and the, the shares were subsequently divided. But I did wind up with more shares because I, I was a CEO. Well, being, so, yes. If I may, David, I think one thing, though, is when you're in family businesses, uh, rightly or wrongly, you may have an opportunity that a normal person would not have. So the ability, you're at a different level or threshold. So your ability to move forward is way different because you didn't start the business and you have X, you know, the size of the business is Y and therefore you can, you can move the company along at a greater rate or greater, you know, uh, pace because a lot of the infrastructure is set up. So what's interesting is, you know, I agree that there should be unequal amounts but the question is, is the person that's working in the business really creating the value? Uh, and I know, Karen, I, I've never worked with you, but I know you did create a tremendous amount of value. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you probably earned it, but there are many times when clients do not earn it. They're just there working there. So it doesn't, it's not a reasonable and fair equation for some people. And I'll just add another point, which I know Rich and Stephen and I have seen a lot in our career, and that is parents agonizing over what's fair and creating a situation where they their children will feel that they're not getting equal love. And they equate equity being equal with equal love. And that's a dangerous road to go down right. because it's... Steve, as you know, it's not, you know, that's what we hear. We hear if I give so-and-so more than the other, they're going to think I love them more than the other one. And they're going to see this as unfair and they're going to be in therapy the rest of their life. And it's a problem. And it's very, very difficult to separate love with compensation when it's family. I've right? seen a couple of times, similar to what Karen was describing, where a portion of the equity was because you're my kids and that's allocated evenly. And then there's, you know, another half of the company or whatever it is that's really based on who's working there and performance and really earning it um, over time, which I kind of like that way. So the kids are getting something for being the kid, um, but there's a significant piece that's really earned. I think it's important to distinguish. And I think um, from, you know, the way I feel, I mean, if you're getting up every day and you're 
slogging on to into into dealing with you know all kinds of problems on a daily basis and you have siblings that may or may not work at all um whether you created a little value or a greater value you were still the person sitting there dealing with the stress of of this business and the and the burden of the business and the burden of the business is not only do you have to um keep it profitable and going for your own family, um, but for all the families that work in the business too. I mean, you're responsible for a lot. And, and so I think, you know, and for me, I would, I would also say some of the conversation with my dad was sometimes I didn't think I was being compensated enough for what I was doing. And he'd say, Oh, don't worry about it. You're an owner. And I was like, well, I'm an owner and siblings are owners too. Like why am why am I here? <laughs> they're, they're not, and they weren't, you know, there, there wasn't a dispute in the family about that at all. But um, it, it was at that point we were having those dialogues where he realized that putting some more shares over to me um, made, made sense. Well, you know, the segment a little longer, if you don't mind, because there's one more question I'd like to try to squeeze in. Could before. I just close yeah. one thing, Jeff? Yep. Jeff, I, I just want to distinguish also, though, not only should one get the equity, the question is one should also get the control and the authority. Because if you have siblings that have shares and they're not in the business and they've received it through an inheritance, they really don't have a good sense of how to run the business. And so um, or whether, you know, they want to keep the distributions in a certain level, et cetera. So I think that the control really should go to the person that's working in the business, their siblings. So as I said, we're gonna probably run this segment a little longer than we expected, which is fine. I'm gonna ask another question, which I know is a very emotional question for everybody involved. And that is, well, first of all, a lot of family businesses don't have active boards, but if you do have a board, you know, there's a lot of data that says every family business should have a board. An outside perspective, does every family member, should every family member be on the board? Or should every family member that has equity be on the board? I think that's a hot question as well. And again, something that I've experienced with all of you. I uh, I do not think that every family member who has equity should be on the board, um, especially if they're not involved actively involved in the business and actively understanding what the, what that business does, what the goals of the businesses are just if they're showing up to a board meeting to show up to a board meeting, um, I don't think is a very productive use of anybody's time. Um, and also how many family members are there? So I think that should be, if you have five brothers and sisters, five brothers and sisters should not be on the board. Um, so I, I do think that should be capped um, at a certain at a certain level, by by the the the, the education and the the involvement of of the siblings. I agree with David hundred percent. I I I think it just becomes noise, and it also gives those family members who are not in the business the impression that they have some control and leverage in the business, which. That's the question is, should they? But if they're not working in the business, why would they be able to make key decisions for a business that they're not right. involved in? Or if, or if we're trying to progress the business and we're saying we're going to 
invest in X, Y, or Z or go down this road to then get those family members up to speed with the why and then dealing with the the sort of interrogation and the I don't agree, I don't agree. Well, if you don't agree, then, you know, you know, here here's my position. Go run the company yourself. It's it becomes it becomes very tumultuous. And I, I think capping it again is is the right move. I think it would depend on whether it's a fiduciary board or advisory board. I mean, certainly you would feel differently if it was an advisory board, but the the stockholders, family members that do have, again, that do have skills that the company needs, you know, that's a different conversation. But to the extent it's just simply because they're inherited and they're there, I agree with you. Yeah. I would I would say from an advi- the advisory board things, I, I think is nice to have if you have, you know, it could be spouses, siblings, you know, other shareholders that have real life experience that could actually provide value, but not necessarily, you know, have the teeth of having an actual uh, board seat. Yeah, I agree. Just because you have the shares, I don't think that gives you an automatic seat at the board. Um, so I think it's filling the board with people that have the experience, whether that's in the business or other business experience that would be valuable to the company um, and filling the board with, with that skill set rather than just I own shares. Well, we may get into some more of these aspects in the next uh, round of the seminar. Uh, Jillian K- King, our producer, I'm turning it over to you. Thank you, Jeffrey. That wraps up part one of this summer 2023 edition of the FBA Family Business Panel Discussion. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers who have tuned in for this first segment on Radio Entrepreneurs. Links will be provided in the video's description below to parts two and three of the discussion to hear more on these topics. So be sure to check out those links and click subscribe just below the video if you're on YouTube or follow if you are listening on one of our podcast platforms to stay up to date on all our postings as they go live. If you're a fan of our videos, please be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe, and press the bell button. It helps immensely. Radio Entrepreneurs is also active on LinkedIn, so be sure to go follow our page there as well for more business advice and discussions. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. We'll be back with more stories on Radio Entrepreneurs.